future is very unknown. Will the market show up? You know, will you execute? Will how will the competition behave? Right, and it, and and so you have a lot of leeway in your projections, and there's a lot of storytelling in real estate. The knowns are much. There, there's many more knowns, and the knowns are known better. So in other words, the, there's um, the facts are really established. You can't just come up with a Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got part two of our interview with Oren Clough. If you missed part one and his book, Pitch Anything, it sold a million copies and uh, all his experience, please go back and start there. Uh, but kind of picking off, picking up where part one left off, um, I, I kind of want to reiterate what your friend said of, I found Flip the Script even more helpful than Pitch Anything. Um, and, and maybe to start with, Will, why don't you give the, the elevator pitch? for the book and then I want to dive into one of my favorite principles from it. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, I think you know, so so pitch anything was about what's possible that you can walk in a room of investors or buyers and as a salesperson, as somebody who needs a deal, as somebody fairly low status in a matter of minutes be an equal or peer to an investor, to a company to a buyer, to somebody who's been in, biz in, in business for 20 years and you've been in it for a month. You can walk in that room and control the frame and own that room and make them want to do business with you. And on that wanting, close a good deal with no discounts on a short time frame. And the, the possibility that, that you could create that really opened the, the eyes and the minds of millions of people. And the, the tools are not being needy, raising your status, frame control, understanding power frames, uh, and these kind of things. Then flip the script really moved into the scripts to specifically do those things. You walk in a room, you're facing an investor. They have a billion dollars. You need $5 million from them, right? And you're going to leave that meeting. Uh, if they don't invest in, in you, uh, it's, your last, it's your last possible meeting to get that money. What exactly do you say to give them the certainty to buy into you? Uh, and so flip the script is really about the scripts to use in that environment. And pitch anything is really about showing you that you can in fact, and how, in fact, um, the, the world can be uh, controlled. And I say control in a, in a, in a positive way. You know, we don't, um, and I use the word control a lot, right? So I don't want you to control someone in a sense that they're doing something that they don't know what they're doing. In fact, that's what Flip the Script ends up on is giving the other person autonomy to do whatever they want. You set up the decision matrix, you create the sandbox to play in, and then you let them play in the sandbox in any way they want. So there's no sense of control at all. And ultimately, giving somebody autonomy to make their own decision is the ultimate form of control. So that is sort of the difference between the two books. Yeah, I love it. You know, I, I want to start with this this um, concept of inception. Why don't I let you explain it first, and then I'll ask my questions. So guy comes into my office, and we pitch him – couple months ago. And yeah, it's a 45 minute discussion. It's about a 20 minute pitch. Uh, we're talking about selling his company. It's a $20 million deal. 
And we end up sort of, you're not going to convince somebody uh, very purposefully or methodically to, you know, on a first meeting to, to, to let you sell their company. It's a multi-stage conversation, right? It's not a one-call close, you know, it's not a vacuum cleaner. So we finish the pitch and the guy leaves and we're sitting in the conference room talking about what we could have done better, what we did well, basically a mission debrief. The guy walks back in. I'm like, what is, why is this guy back? <laughs> right? Like, he walks in. And he walks in and he, and he takes out a checkbook. And in our business, we don't see checkbooks or money. We just see wires. I haven't seen a checkbook in forever. Takes out a checkbook and writes a huge check, right? We, there's no contract. There's no discussion <laughs> of fees. And he writes, you know, just call it a $75,000 check. And he goes, this should get us started. Puts it on the table and leaves. And we're just staring at the check. <laughs> going, what? I, I don't even know what to – I mean, I'm smart enough to know to go cash it. But I don't know what to do with him. We don't have a contract. We don't have a scope of work. And he goes, you know, let's get together on Monday. This should get us started. So that's inception. When somebody decides to do business with you and starts doing business with you without you even having to ask them to do it, it's putting the idea that we're going to work together, um, that we're doing business together in somebody's mind. So they propose to you, and that's an extreme version of it. Uh, but so they say to you, how do we get started? And I can tell you of the last hundred deals I've done, every single one of them started like this. The other guy going, how do we get started? Not me saying, hey, Mr. Jones, what do you think? You know, should we start on Monday? Do you have any questions? Should I send over the agreement? Do you have any questions about the agreement? Um, is this something you're excited about? Can we get going? I never say that, right? It, it is the ability, inception is the ability to put in somebody else's mind the idea that they need to and should be and want to and are excited about working with you to the point where they propose it. I'll give you one more example. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about not being vague and the ability to give details. And one of our biggest clients today, uh, we met him in the office here again, talked to him on the phone. Uh, you know, he read the book and he, he flew into San Diego and he was in town. He came by the office. Uh, we met for an hour and, um, uh, you know, we had an agreement that we were proposing to him and he, he had the contract and was leaving. And I said on the way out, hey, John, uh, you know, as we're walking out the door, you know, what are your thoughts on next steps? And he says, what do you mean next steps? I signed the contract half an hour ago. It's on the conference room table. So that's what inception is. Guys are signing the contract. You don't even know it's signed, and they're expecting to get started on Monday, and you haven't were asked for the deal at all. I love it. You know, um, so let, let's use an example. You know, my 506, uh, 506C offering has just gone live, right? We, we want to spend the next 15 years raising, you know, a $5 billion REIT, okay? So we're capitalizing our sponsor for, you know, we're, we're starting with a minimum raise of 15 and, and we'd take a maximum of 100, okay? And um, I'm going to go out and meet with a whole bunch of rich guys and try and get, you know, one, two, three million at a time, hoping to get a few 10 millions in there at some point here, right? So yeah. my question for you is um, this idea of um, helping them come to their own conclusions, right? And like, um, like giving them no threat of pressure or anything like this, right? This idea of helping them come to their own conclusion that this is something that they want to pursue. I think my first question is, um, you talk a lot more about listening in Flip the Script, I feel like. And it's, it's so plain, but it's such a superpower when it's done right. Can you talk about meeting with some guy who's used to having people bow down and lick his boots um, and, and how to basically, you know, do your James Bond stuff of elicitation of helping figure out what, what does the future look like if it works out for them and getting them to share 
what they want out of life so that you have something to work with when you're doing inception. Can we start there? Of How do you get guys to open up who they know you're there to sell them something? How is it that Oren kind of cracks the nut and gets them to open up? Here's, here's how it, so there's two words that you should, you know, I think it'd be helpful for people to think about and just, you can think about convergent and divergent, right? So we want to give people the ability to tell us about their life, their ideas, what they want, where they see the world going, what they want to make happen, what's important to them, what their passions are, what they're affecting, uh, what their reach is, what makes them happy, what makes them unhappy, right? We want to plumb those depths with people. Is that fair? And so that is a divergent conversation. What are you working on? What are you interested? What makes you happy? It is unconstrained, which is fine. Um, and, and, but the, the, the problem is in a sale where you want something to happen, it is completely divergent. It can go in a million different directions. It's uncontrolled. So it's useful because you're learning, but it is uh, poor deal discipline because it can go into areas that aren't useful for the focus on the money that you're trying to raise, right? So convergent means that we're driving towards a certain direction. Now, the reality is, and we'll go somewhere, the reality is, and we'll go somewhere with this, when you're talking to a billionaire, a guy managing a billion dollars, I talk to those guys all the time right? You want them to explore those ideas as it relates to your $3 million that you're asking for. In reality, I mean, you're not going to be friends with that guy, right? Uh, unless you've been an investor and you're, you're not, he's not going to inviting you over for Thanksgiving. He's not going to, um, uh, you know, include you in one of these deals randomly. He's, that information and that conversation is only valuable as it is directing and leading him towards putting $3 million in your fund. So it has to be convergent. It has to be leading somewhere. And so the way to do it is to build a sandbox of things that you can talk about, things that you can explore that has boundaries, right? And things outside of that, you don't have time or energy to discuss and get into. Um, and so the, the formula for doing that is I call the buyer's formula. You have to teach somebody how to buy from you, right? And, and so once you teach somebody how to buy from you, look, this is how you can make a decision about our fund and what we're doing, right? And and so again, just give me the give me the purpose of the fund. Um, it's just boring, reliable income from you know safe apartment buildings in downtown cities. Sure. So uh, you know, the, we think that if you're going to invest in a fund that's sort of infill, multifamily, high quality real estate, reliable income, right? There's some things that are important. Uh, and so, so, for example, uh, sustainable sustainability in the assets that they aren't burning coal and polluting, right? And so, if today, if you want an asset that's going to be viable for the next 20 years, you have to think about sustainability, right? So, just in that statement we're creating convergence, right? Because later on, if they go, well, you know, um, the assets seem, you know, priced high, right? Then you can come back and say, I mean, we believe that if you're going to do this correctly, that you have to invest in sustainability and you'll make that up in the out years of the investment, right? And so you can, if somebody keeps going outside of the sandbox that you've set, they're not an investor, right? Uh, and, and so when they say, hey, look, um, the initial investment in the assets seem high, you know, all this cleanup and retrofitting of uh, the electrical grid and the solar panels and everything like that. It really is affecting the ROI 
in the first years. Yeah, remember I told you, uh, we, we believe to be successful in real estate in the next 20 years, you have to be able to focus on sustainability because that brings in the millennials, that brings in the higher rents, that makes the assets valuable when you go out to sell them, right? And they go, well, and if they keep coming back to the high entry costs, they're not staying in the sandbox and you can just kick them out. So the way to deal with those guys is by teaching them how to buy from you and having the conversations convergent on the goal that you have of, of getting the $3 million. Is it so Jess, is that helpful? Yeah, it is. You know, um, and I think one of the things I was smiling on my end here is I think that as much as the techniques, what I, what I appreciate about listening to you is the mindset that you're bringing to it, the approach, your willingness to accept this person is not our investor instead of the neediness of, I need to sell everyone. Like no wonder you're successful because like when you think about an efficiency play, is it more efficient to try and change someone, someone's mind or is it more efficient to go find someone who is already thinking within your sandbox? And my experience is it's definitely the second one, but it takes that level of confidence to go like, Hey, this guy's not in our sandbox. We could sit here and beat our heads against the wall trying to convince him or we could, you know, politely let this meeting end and go find somebody else. And that so, takes an inner confidence to do, but yet it's so efficient in the long term. I, I love this because a lot of people will go, I, I could never be so bold or this is such a risky strategy. There is literally no risk in it whatsoever, right? If the guy is a bad investor, if he wants a better deal than anybody else, if he is constantly asking for things that cost you money or are outside your ability to give them, right? There is no risk in telling him, hey, listen, we, we're doing this one way, right? Because we're going to bring in 40 investors into the fund. Every investor has to come in on the same terms and they have to like those terms. So if you don't like these terms, it'll be a clear, and I want to talk about them with you, right? Sustainability, low ROI in the beginning years, uh, you know, a focus even um, on an exit cap rate. It's the same as our going in cap rate, um, uh, high uh, reserves, you know, for situations like we're having right now. Yeah, low, a lower ROI because we're buying core assets. This is not going to be, right. this is not, you're not going to get development type returns. We're not taking that kind of risk. This is your sleep well at night money. This is not your get rich money. If you're looking for get rich money, we're probably not the guys for you, right? Well, well, also, I think you can go, look, if if we can't resolve these things, right, I'm probably just going to throw you out of the conversation. (laughs) No, it's not even so much because there's no risk in that because if they continue to say, you know, um, I want a high ROI, I want a high RRR, I want low reserves, and I want high cap rate project or low cap rate projections right on exit, then, you know, if they say those things, then you say, listen, uh, unfortunately, I feel like I'm going to, you know, a bad, there's nothing worse than a bad investor. You might be a nice guy, but for this deal, you're probably a bad investor and I'm throwing you off the island. It is not a bold strategy. It is not a high risk strategy. It's actually a low risk strategy because if you take that guy, he's going to poison the other investors. He's going to poison the deal and he's going to cause you trouble for years. Okay. And so it is actually a no risk strategy to, to throw somebody out of the deal who won't adhere to the guidelines that you've established in your buyer's formula. And so, so that once people come to realize it's a no risk strategy, then it becomes pretty fun. I love it. Well, maybe shifting gears a bit, a bit here. You know, I know you've you've covered so many sectors of finance in your career, and you do venture deals and all these different ones. I, I'm super interested in your mind. 
what's different about doing real estate deals? If you had, you know, just a mini masterclass here on one of the key points of what's different about a real estate deal versus other kinds of deals, what come, what pops to mind for you? Yeah, because if I bring you a company and we are, I mean, I've got a thousand companies this week, we're developing a new respirator, we're developing a new COVID you know, test, we're developing a few flu treatment, we're developing a faster turn hospital bed or respiratory mask or you know, all this stuff that's relevant today, right? Here's what's different is I don't know. The future is very unknown. Will the market show up? You know, will you execute? Will, how will the competition behave, right? And, it, and, and so you have a lot of leeway in your projections and there's a lot of storytelling in real estate the knowns are much there, there's many more knowns and the knowns are known better so in other words the there's um the facts are really established you can't just come up with a projection that is uh too far outside of reality reality is really well understood by real estate investors so the difference is the story becomes unbelievably important because – and this is one thing that my partner taught me. Buildings are only as valuable as the people who come into them and leave them and use them, right? And when you have people, you have stories. So, so for example, um, when you know, – when you – um, and, 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 and I have a big real estate deal in Flip the Script that I talk about that illustrates this. When you have an asset, a piece of real, whether it's a multifamily, single family home, uh, a, a uh, industrial asset, a infill, outfill, uh, an office building, office complex, medical complex, whatever, you have to find the story of the people who are using that and how is it in the path of growth. And so uh, the real estate is different in that you cannot have hockey stick projections that, that you know, um, don't map very closely to, to um, you know, com the competing assets or the understanding of how that kind of asset performs. The only place where you have a chance for juice and to make a faster sale, a better sale, get a little bit more larger margin, have a, a bigger load, have a bigger transaction fee, whatever it is, is to have a really believable and fantastic story about the people who are going to use the asset and why that makes it a good asset. So I think that's that's a difference is uh, real estate is, is much more dependent on storytelling um, than every other kind of company. I love it. Well, and, listen, and by, if, the way, by storytelling, you know, that's something very specific. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of people don't understand, and I do outline this and flip the script, you know, what a business story is, you know, versus just a, a, a story. You know, business story really boils down to, you know, why now, what's in it for me, and why should I do it with you? That's the story part of it. Why now? Why didn't this asset come about a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? Why shouldn't this be done two years from now, five years from now, right? What's in it for me if I do this deal? Because that's the other thing about real estate. There's always another real estate deal to look at. What's in it for me here? And why should I do it with you? After you make your load, after you close the deal, how do I know you're going to be around for one year, three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever it takes? What evidence is there? How are you in the boat with me? And I don't feel like I'm on the boat and you're waving to me from shore. You can answer those questions. Then you have the start of a real estate story. <laughs> I love it. Well, if we haven't covered it already in this episode, obviously everybody should be going to pitchanything.com and hopping on Amazon and buying their own copy of both Pitch Anything and Flip the Script. Um, you know, maybe to maybe to wind down here, um, 
you get interviewed a lot. People are always asking your advice. Um, but what's a question that you don't get asked that you think people should be asking more? Yeah, yeah. I think people should be more focused on this what's, you know, um, why you, right? Why you? I think people misunderstand when they're pitching someone why somebody should work with them. And it is not because you got a degree from Yale and you went to Harvard and you have an MBA and you were at Microsoft and you worked at you know, you're on the management team at here and you have this pedigree and, you know, you have all this history. That is, that is not, that's traction. That all goes on the traction slide, right? You know, prior performance. Why you is a different question. How do you have skin in the game? So, you know, from raising a fund, so for example, you know, we're trying to buy a deal, right? Um, and the seller was really excited about selling me the asset. And he was willing to do, you know, finance 30% of it. So it had $10 million of EBITDA. So we could basically, with the seller financing and debt on the EBITDA, we could buy 100% of the company, right? And the bank is not going to let us buy 100% of the company, seller financing and debt, even though the coverage ratios are awesome, unless we write a $2 million check, right? Why? Because... Um, without that $2 million check, we don't have skin in the game, right? So, so people should be asking, how do I show the buyer and the investor that I have skin in the game? When you can show how you have skin in the game, your conversion rate is going to go way up. Yep. I love it. Well, um, this has been great. I appreciate all the time you've given us. Um, anything you want to close with here before we sign off? I, I think, uh, you know, we're in the middle of, you know, this big sort of revenue scare and hospitality is going down to zero and um, uh, travel is down to zero and, you know, airline travel is down to zero. And but but I'm seeing, you know, nearly everybody I work with who knows how to pitch and get revenue correctly do really well. Hey, we're up 15 percent. We're up 20 percent. We're not changing our projections for the year. When you do these things correctly, we talked about here today, neediness, status, flash roll, buyer's formula, skin in the game, um, what's happening, why now. When you do all of that correctly and you put things in the right order, you're just your conversion rate is going to go ex explode north. Your cycle time on closing a deal is going to get much shorter, and you're just going to see the revenue that you want. It's worth investing time in these things. I love it. Well, um, thanks again, man. This is awesome. I appreciate it. Great. Bye, everybody.